Let's open our Bibles together to the book of Romans, chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, we're going to focus on verses 20 through 23 this morning, finishing up the chapter. And in light of that, I want to read the whole chapter, actually, as we begin this morning, so that we can sort of get a feel for what Paul's been saying in this part of this letter to the Christians in Rome. And as I read the whole chapter, I would encourage you to listen especially for what he says about how we're called to treat each other in the body of Christ as fellow believers when we disagree with each other. It's a theme that we've been talking about in this chapter. Pay special attention to how God calls us to treat each other as fellow believers when we disagree with one another. Then we'll focus on verses 20 through 23 and see what we can learn from them together in the sermon. Let me pray for us before I read. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for this portion of your word, for this chapter. We thank you for all you've been teaching us from it over the last several weeks about how to love each other when we disagree. We pray that you would open our eyes again to the truths that you've revealed to us here and give us the grace to understand and apply your word to our hearts and to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Romans chapter 14, starting at verse one. This is the word of God. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, 
But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Two main points this morning. You can see them in your sermon notes there in the bulletin. Don't destroy the work of God, verses 20 and 21. And whatever does not proceed from faith is sin, verses 22 and 23. And we'll see what we can learn from these verses that God has given us for our growth in Christ. Number one, don't destroy the work of God. Paul says there at the beginning of verse 20, do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Now, this is basically what he said at the, uh, back up in verse 15, if you look back up at verse 15, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. He's saying there, and in verse 20, don't bring destruction into their lives by what you eat. In other words, don't eat certain foods around them that they think are unclean because that might tempt them to do the same, which would go against their conscience, which would be them doing something they think they shouldn't do, something they think God says not to do, which would be wrong, which would be sinful, which would bring destruction. It would bring the destruction of sin into their lives. What we're supposed to do is verse 19 So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. What we're not supposed to do is verse 20. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Now, why is that the case? Paul goes on to say, everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. And that's similar to verses 13 and 14. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. So Paul's saying, basically, it may be right for you to eat certain foods because they're clean now, 
but it's wrong for you to eat them if it's going to make your brother stumble. So do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God, he says. And I think there's three things we should take note of here in light of these verses, verses 20 and 21. First of all, as believers, we are the work of God. We are the work of God as believers. Uh, Paul says, don't destroy the work of God. He's referring to believers in context to those who are weak in faith, but really all believers are the work of God. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're the work of God. We're the workmanship of God himself. We are his work by creation. Psalm 100 verse three, it is he who made us and we are his. And we are also his work by redemption. Ephesians 4, 24, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We are the work of God by creation and by redemption. We didn't make ourselves and we didn't save ourselves. God made us, God saved us. We are the work of God. When we look at a painting, we know, of course, that the painting didn't paint itself. We know that an artist painted it. So when we look in the mirror, see ourselves in that mirror, Let's remember that we didn't make ourselves. God made us. We didn't save ourselves. God saved us. And in both ways, we are the work of God. And God is still at work in us every day, too, which is very encouraging. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, Philippians 1.6. For it is God who works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure, Philippians 2.13. We are the work of God and we can be encouraged by that truth. Second thing we should note here from these verses is that fellow believers are more important than food. Fellow believers are more important than food. Paul says, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. So the work of God is more important than food. He says, it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. He says, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. So your brother is more important than your lunch. A fellow church member is more important than a bacon cheeseburger. Fellow believers are more important than food. Paul says elsewhere, 1 Corinthians 8, 13, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Of course, food is good. Food is a gift from God. It's to be enjoyed as a gift from God, but our fellow believers are obviously more important, and we should forego food for the sake of our fellow believer instead of our fellow believer for the sake of food. Sometimes we, we turn food from a gift we enjoy to an idol we worship And when we do that, we end up hurting others. 
maybe not with this clean, unclean foods issue that Paul's addressing here, but we might do it by being grumpy at the dinner table and being unkind toward others when we don't like the food that's being served. We might do it at a fifth Sunday lunch here if we perhaps take more than we need and others don't have enough. We might take the last slice of pizza without offering it to someone else or offering to share it with someone else. Or we might be so absorbed in our food that we we don't engage in conversation with those around us, those who are eating with us. But we should remember this simple truth that people are more important than what's on our plate. Our fellow believers are more important than our food. And if we remember that, then we'll be able to love the people around us. It's okay to love food. It's a gift from God. But it's not okay to love food more than people. So I would encourage you at lunch today, try to pay more attention to the people around the table than the food on your plate because fellow believers are more important than food. Third thing we should note from these verses is that we should not destroy the work of God. We should not destroy our fellow believers. Rather, we should build up our fellow believers. We should build each other up, not tear each other down. We should work in construction, not demolition in our relationships with each other. And there are certain things that are destructive that we need to avoid and other things that are constructive that we need to pursue. In terms of things that are destructive, you could perhaps think of any number of these things that would be destructive of our relationships, but we need to avoid gossip, I would say, which is, as author Kent Hughes put it, saying behind someone's back what you would never say to their face. Gossip is destructive. We also, I think, need to avoid overuse of sarcasm. That can be destructive. A sprinkling of sarcasm can be harmless, but any sarcasm can be hurtful if it's misunderstood. And too much sarcasm in a relationship can be like termites that slowly eat away at the foundation of a house, little bite by little bite. We also need to avoid pride, which includes an unwillingness to serve others, seeking to be served rather than to serve, seeking to be heard rather than to listen, seeking to be appreciated and respected by others rather than show appreciation and respect to others. These are some of the things we should avoid, gossip and overuse of sarcasm and pride. Those are things that are destructive. And then there are things that are constructive, things that we should pursue in our relationships with each other, things like encouragement, encouraging each other, genuine, specific, God-glorifying encouragement of each other, and prayer for each other and with each other, heartfelt prayers to the Lord for each other's spiritual good, and service of one another, thoughtful, sacrificial, humble service of each other. In big things, like when someone's grieving, or in small things, like the common courtesy we show to each other over a meal. Our Savior came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And we can follow in his steps, in his strength. 
We should avoid what is destructive and pursue what is constructive in our relationships with each other. We should not destroy, but rather build up one another for each other's good and for the glory of Christ. So don't destroy the work of God, Paul says. And then he says some interesting things about faith. And let's look at that now under our second main point. Look at the beginning of verse 22. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Now that sounds a bit odd, doesn't it? The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. That sounds like an anti-evangelism verse. Don't share your faith, keep it to yourself. Don't tell others about your faith, keep it between you and God. That doesn't sound right at all, does it? Kids, that doesn't sound like what the Bible says about telling others about Jesus, does it? Well, that's not what Paul's saying here, of course, And this reminds us, I think, of the importance of reading and understanding passages in the Bible in context. He's not saying keep the gospel between yourself and God and don't share it with others. He's saying keep your freedom to eat all foods between yourself and God and don't flaunt it before others. Namely, before your brother who is weak in faith so that you don't destroy him. So this isn't an anti-evangelism verse, it's an anti-demolition verse. Don't destroy the work of God. The faith that you have, this faith to, to be able to eat all foods, keep it between yourself and God. Out of love for your fellow brother or sister who is weak in faith and doesn't share the same conviction. The faith of the gospel, that we are not to keep between ourselves and God. We're to share the faith of the gospel. We're to share it far and wide. We're to scatter the seed as far as we can, as often as we can. We're to tell others the good news about salvation from sin through faith in Jesus Christ. And by the way, if you're here this morning as a non-believer, perhaps you're religious but you're committed to another religion or maybe you're not sure what you believe, let me say a, a quick word about the Christian faith. The most important thing to understand about the Christian faith is the gospel. The gospel is the main message of the Bible, of the scriptures. And it's a message first about God, about who God is. He's the creator of all things, including you and me. And he's good and gracious and he's kind, but he's also just and holy. And he is the one to whom we owe everything, our very existence, our life, our breath, our health. He's the king, the rightful king of the universe that he made and sustains every moment. And the gospel is a message about him, it's about God. It's also, though, a message about us, about who we are. We are made in God's image. We are made like God with many wonderful capacities and abilities. But we have a problem. And it's that we've sinned against God. We've rebelled against the king. Each one of us has turned away from God and gone our own way. And in our hearts and in our thoughts and in our words and our actions, 
We break God's law every day, and therefore we deserve his judgment. We deserve his just wrath. The penalty for our sins is death, both physical death and spiritual death, and the eternal judgment of God in hell. There's nothing we can do to dig ourselves out of the pit we're in. But thankfully, the gospel is also about Jesus Christ. He is the son of God who became a man and he lived a perfect life of obedience that we haven't lived. And he died a sacrificial death on the cross that we deserve to die. And he rose again from the dead, victorious over sin and death and hell. And he offers himself to all people as the all-sufficient savior. And he says that anyone who repents of their sin and believes in him will be saved. Anyone who turns from their sin in their heart and puts their trust in him alone will be saved and will have eternal life in heaven when they die. That is the message of the gospel. And of course, it's not just important for us to understand this message. It's important also for us to respond to this message. That's what I would urge you to do this morning, to recognize who God is, to recognize who you are in light of who he is, to recognize who Jesus Christ is and what he did for sinners in his life, death, and resurrection, and to turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus for your salvation. And his promise is that all who repent and believe in him will be saved and will have eternal life. That is the message of the gospel that we as Christians are supposed to share with others. Not because we just want our church to grow, but because we ourselves have been saved by the grace of God. And we want others to receive the free gift of salvation as well. So we don't want to keep the faith of the gospel between ourselves and God. We want to share it with you. We want to share it with all. Keeping the gospel between ourselves and God would be like finding the cure for cancer and just taking it yourself without giving it to others, telling others about it. We don't want to do that. We've been given the cure for sin and death and hell. We want to offer it to others, including to you this morning. And we encourage you to take the cure of Christ by faith, and please feel free to talk to someone after the service today if you have questions. So Paul says, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God, not meaning the faith of the gospel, but the faith of the freedom to eat all foods. Keep that faith between yourself and God so that you don't destroy the work of God, your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, for whom to eat those foods would be to go against their conscience. And Paul says something about that in the second half of verse 22. He says, blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. So if you have no reason to pass judgment on yourself for what you approve, you're blessed But if you have doubts about whether or not it's right to eat certain foods, but you eat them anyway, you're condemned. And the difference here is between doing something your conscience says might be wrong 
and then feeling condemned that you did it on the one hand and doing something your conscience says is right and experiencing the blessing of God in that, the blessing of a clear conscience before God. That's what Paul prays for in another place, for the Christians in Philippi, in Philippians 1. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. In whatever we do, we want to have a clear conscience. We don't want to have any reason to pass judgment on ourselves for what we approve. And if we have doubts, we should refrain. Not doubts like which route to take on Google Maps on a long car ride, but doubts about the moral rightness or wrongness of a certain action, like the weak in faith eating certain foods that they still thought were unclean. Because if you think it might be wrong and yet you still do it, you're knowingly doing something you think might be wrong and therefore you're condemned by that action. Why is that? Well, Paul says in verse 23, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. It's not from faith that all foods are clean. It's not from a clear conscience that says, this is right to eat this. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Remember Hebrews 11, verse six. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Whatever doesn't meet with the approval of your conscience is sin. Because if your conscience says it's wrong and you do it anyway, you're knowingly doing what you think is wrong. And that, of course, is wrong. Well, what can we take away from these verses, verses 22 and 23? Let's consider that for just a few minutes as we draw to a close this morning. Three things. First of all, don't keep the faith of the gospel to yourself. Don't keep the faith of the gospel to yourself. Share it with others. Tell others the good news of the gospel. News about God, man, Christ, and our response. About God and his holiness, man and his sinfulness, Christ in his life and death and resurrection for sinners, and the response God calls us to of repentance for sin and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Don't focus on what the other person will think about you. Focus on what the other person needs to hear about God. Don't fear man, fear God. Don't value social comfort over the eternal state of a fellow human being. Remember that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Remember that God is with you and will help you. Remember that you have the cure of Christ and share it with others. Don't keep the faith of the gospel to yourself. Secondly, Seek to live with a clear conscience 
Seek to live with a clear conscience. Don't make a habit of going against your conscience. Because every time you do that, it gets quieter and quieter. Like an alarm clock that gets quieter every time you disregard it so that it no longer does its job of waking you from sleep. Instead, listen to your conscience, your consciousness of right and wrong, your God-given sense of what would please him and what would displease him. Listen to your conscience and do what you know is right. And if you do what is wrong, if you go against your conscience, which we all do, sadly, then do what we've been learning to do from Pastor Tim's sermons on 1 John. Confess your sin to God and he will be faithful and just to forgive you your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We want to live with a clear conscience. We want to be like Christian in Pilgrim's Progress after his burden had fallen off his shoulders. We don't want to be weighed down with guilt and shame and regret on the journey. So seek to live with a clear conscience, a conscience that is informed by the word of God and cleansed by the blood of Christ. Third and finally, in everything you do, do it by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We want all we do to proceed from faith in Christ ultimately. Colossians 3:17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Galatians 2:20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Apart from faith in Christ, we can do nothing. Like a car without gas, we can't go anywhere. But by faith in Christ, we can do all things through him who strengthens us. So in everything you do, do it by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do it trusting in Christ for the grace to be able to do it. Do it without doubting. Do it with a clear conscience. Do it by his strength and for his glory. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, we pray that you would enable us to walk by faith in you. We need you to strengthen us for that. We want to do all we do by faith in you, but we struggle. We struggle every day. So would you help us, help us to respond to your word in faith and obedience and to do all we do for your glory. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.